Good to be with you guys. Um, I was like kind of wrestling with the boys on the way over here, and I think I'm still out of breath. So <laughs> Isaiah did fall, get a grass stain on his arm on the way over here in his nice white champion shirt. I know. We'll we'll fix it. Mama will fix it. Mama will make it make it better. Um, so we're starting a new sermon series today, made for this. Um, the theme for this year for our church is a year of clarity, right? Let there be light. A year of clarity, a year of hope, a year of growth. And I hope that through the last sermon series, God shed some light on the, the topic of the Bible and race. And so we want to do that in terms of what you were designed for. Why are you here? Why do you exist? What's the purpose of life? What's the meaning of it? Um, that's a, that's, those are the most important questions, really, you can possibly ask. And it's important that we are using our lives according to God's design. You ever try and use something that was designed for one thing for something else? You know, I was just thinking about when I was over there, like, if I, if I tried to, like, cut down a tree with this music stand... Like, if it's a small tree, I might be able to do it, right? Like, it would take forever. It would be extremely frustrating. But after maybe months of whacking at a tree with this music stand, I might be able to do it. It makes a horrible axe, but it makes a pretty awesome music stand, right? Because it was designed to be a music stand. And so if we're living outside of our design, it's going to be a pretty miserable existence, right? So, let's jump right in there. A lot of ground to cover, as always. Here's the big idea for this morning. You were made for intimacy with God. Now, I know that's not revol uh, revolutionary uh, for most of you. But I hope that you can see today the sweetness of this truth um, as I talk about it. Um, we see this at the beginning of the Bible, that we were made for intimacy with God. And so what I want to do is go back to that Genesis creation account so we can see why this is the case. And the first thing you need to see, it's kind of like a sub-point to this big idea, is that the very essence of God is loving community and coordinated creativity. Loving community and coordinated creativity. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now that's interesting, because we affirm, and you sang a song, I think that affirmed this, we believe in one God. So how is God saying, let us, us, is plural, make man in our image, plural again? Who is he talking to? Was he talking to the angels? No, for those of you who are familiar with the scriptures, as you continue on in that drama that unfolds of redemption, we find that God is one God, but who exists as three distinct persons, personalities. And this stretches our mind beyond what we can really comprehend, but the Bible affirms this. And so, in John 1, and I, I don't want to go too deeply into this because at Christmas we're going to dive into this even more. But John 1 is a really cool chapter because what John does is he peels the curtain back, right? 
and he gives us a window into the personal life of the one true God before he created the world. So we get this glimpse in. And here's what we find in, in John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. If you were to keep reading in John, it, it describes the Word as Jesus. Jesus is the Word. And he is the only begotten Son of God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't exist and then sometime before creation began to exist. No, it means that Jesus is the unique Son of God. And if you were to keep reading in John 1, you see in verse 18 that Jesus existed in the bosom of the Father. What does that mean? In the bosom of the Father. Well, I'll tell you what it means is Jesus, God the Son, has always existed in the most intimate, close um, relationship that you can think of. Um, there are only a couple people that can come and lay their head on my chest, right? Um, Mary and my boys. Um, and this is what, why can they? Because they're the ones that are closest to me, that I'm most intimate with, that I, that we, that I know the most about. And so, of course, God the Father and God the Son, before the creation of the world, they didn't have physical bodies. Jesus didn't have a physical body yet. And so, it, it, Jesus didn't literally put his head on the chest of, of God the Father. This is telling us, they're, they're, they're talking about this oneness, intimacy that existed between the, this, this, in, in, the, in the Godhead of, of the Trinity. Um, now, what's more is that means that Jesus the Son and God the Father always have shared the, the, the same values, the same goals, the same priorities, the same vision. And it can, they're, such, they're so close that it can only be described as one. Oneness. John 10, 38, when Jesus, during his earthly ministry, this is, he said, the Father is in me and I in the Father. John 10, 30 says, I and the Father are one. John 15, 19 and 20 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And so, that is at, the reality behind all reality is this community of love that has existed in the Godhead. Joyous, glorious, self-giving love. But there was also not just love, but coordinated creativity that existed in the Godhead before the creation of the world, right? Um, John 1 says that the world was made through the Word. It was made through Jesus. And so it's telling us God the Father and God the Son, they were a partnership. And they worked together to create the world. And so can't you just imagine that, you know, them dreaming this up and thinking this up and saying, well, put this planet over there and let's, let's make this planet and hang it over there. And let's um, create this creature to work and, and, and be like this. And let's cre create this creature over here to be and exist this way. And let's add a dash of color there and a dash of light over there. Coordinated creativity 
happening. And so, that is why, because there is such a glorious love, creativity, joy that existed in the Godhead. That's why Jesus said in John 17, 5, right before he was about to be crucified, he said, Oh, Father, glorify me together with yourself. Check this out. With the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is saying, I want to go back to that. And of course he did, as he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of the Father after his crucifixion. But now we can see, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean? And this is point number two. We were made with the relational capabilities to join God's loving community and partake in his coordinated creativity. Being made in the image of God means this. It means some other things too, but at its core it means this. Why did God give us these capabilities? Because he wanted us to be invited into the ring of joy and glory. He, want us to, he wanted us to experience the love, the happiness of the Godhead. It's amazing. That's why God created us. Um, it wasn't like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit were like getting bored with each other or had this bad relationship that they were trying to fix by having children, like some married people do, right? They, they say, oh, if we just get married, uh, or if we just have kids, then our, our married, marital issues will be solved. It wasn't like that. No. God, God didn't need anything. But because his very nature is love and this, this desire to bless, that's why he created us, to extend his love and to bless. And we see in Genesis that we were made for this intimacy um, in verses like uh, Genesis 2-7. It says this, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The, the verse says, he formed man. The Hebrew word behind this word, our English translation of formed, it means to, like, it's, it's referring to like a potter taking clay and shaping it and fashioning it into what he wants it to be. And so Jesus creating human, or God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, creating human beings was this hands-on experience. And then it goes on to say that he breathed into man the breath of life. Breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. No, we are the only thing that God created that can, we can say that we were just a lump of matter, but God, he breathed his breath right into us this is like you got to be really close to breathe into somebody's nostrils right so this is talking about into intimacy nearness closeness god inviting us into the ring of glory and then genesis 3 it implies that we uh humans in the beginning had the habit, Adam and Eve had the habit of walking with God in the cool of the day. Like that was a normal part of their life. Because remember in Genesis 3, God 
he yells out to Adam and Eve. It says he, God was walking in the cool of the day in the garden. Where are you? And of course, Adam and Eve, they were hiding in shame and guilt because they had broken one of God's commandments. But it implied that there was this intimacy, that there was these leisurely strolls with God in the garden. And then in Genesis 1.28, so not only is there, there this intimacy we're invited into, but we're also invited into the coordinated creativity of the Godhead. Check out Genesis 1.28. It talks about that God made humans and he commanded them to fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. Scholars will tell you this is the cultural mandate. What God was commanding uh, Adam and Eve to do was to create culture, to create families, to create societies, to create cities, to be God's co-creators. It's amazing, right? Don't you see, we were made to be invited into the ring of God's intimacy, love, and creativity. Walter Brueggemann, he's a first-rate Old Testament scholar. He writes this in his commentary on Genesis. It is, important that, it is important that of all the creatures of God's eight creative acts, God speaks directly only to human creatures. The others have no speech directed toward them at all. By contrast, in 128, God speaks to the human creatures, and in verse 29, he twice addresses them directly with the word you. This creature has a different intimate relation with the Creator. And so, you were made for intimacy with God. That's the third point. Intimacy with God, then, is a basic human need. Having a relationship with Jesus, an intimate connection to Him, is just as essential to a flourishing human life as water and oxygen and shelter and food is. But people don't live that way, do they? They don't see intimacy with God as essential to a vibrant, flourishing human life. And what they've done is humans, we have, we have um, set out to fulfill this innate desire we have to worship God with cheap substitutes. We talk about this a lot. The need doesn't go away, right? If we ignore God, we still have a need to worship Him and be connected to Him. And so what we'll do is if we're not fulfilling it with the right sources, we'll go to the wrong sources in an attempt to try and meet the need that we're all hardwired with. That's why anxiety, fear, worry, shame, guilt is just rampant in our world. People have cut themselves off of the source of life and goodness and joy. And glory. What's probably even more sad is that this is often true of people sitting in churches just like you guys. We are often distracted by the same cheap substitutes, right? Our job is our real lover, the object of our greatest affections, or it's our, our achievement, right? Or it's our popularity, or it's our teaching or our coaching, or it's our home improvements, or our golf game, or our garden, or our kids' activities, or our grandchildren, 
Those things are really the apple of our eye. Those are the things we really get up for. Those are the things that we live for. Those are the things that get on our calendar and we plan our whole lives around and we won't miss at all. Right? We are not chasing hard after Jesus, many of us. We are not cultivating intimacy with him. Jesus is not our main thing. We may say so with our mouths, but our actions and our behavior, uh, they betray our statements. For many of us, Jesus is not the main thing. He is just a hobby. Just a hobby that we may get to if we got a little extra time. Okay? And we wonder why in the church often we're just as fearful, anxious, stressed out, irritable, short-tempered as the rest of the world. We have cut ourselves off from the life source. And here's the thing, many of us don't even know it, because we are so used to, to existing apart from the source of goodness and joy and glory that it just seems normal. We don't know any different. Actually, it seems rather natural when it's the most unnatural thing possible. And when we see people chasing hard after Jesus, we call them spiritual giants because it's so abnormal. And we say, there's no way I could be like that. Well, they're not working with anything more than what we have, you and I have. They just have decided to chase hard after Jesus. And actually, they're living the most normal, natural life possible. Because intimacy with God is an extremely major part of what it means to be a human being. Um, we can make a lot of changes in our lives to better ourselves and to better our lives, but if we don't get intimacy with Jesus right, we are not going to get life right. It's a law of nature that can't be denied, right? It's just the way things are, because that's how God made them. I can try and deny gravity and jump off a cliff and say I'm going to fly, but gravity is not going to ignore me, right? It's the way things are. Um, what is cut off from Christ simply cannot grow and bear the lasting spiritual fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if we're being honest, that is what we really desire in life. We desire those things. Now maybe you're thinking, well, wait a minute. I know a lot of people that are disconnected from Jesus that seem to be quite happy and content and they live pretty good lives, right? Well, maybe that's true. And one of the amazing things about God's grace is that he even allows the sun to shine on evil people, right? I mean, that's, I, God's grace is amazing. And so maybe they are having, you know, quite a good life. But I also push back and say that their happiness is quite unstable. Because if their happiness is based on anything other than Jesus, then it's unstable. As we have seen in 2020, things other than Jesus are unstable. He is the only unshakable foundation we can build our life on. And I guarantee there were a lot of people before the pandemic who were quite content and happy and at peace. And then the pandemic hit 
and they lost their job, and now they're in despair. And I'm sure there were probably a lot of people that were quite content before the pandemic hit, and then they lost their spouse due to COVID, and now they're not so peaceful. And so, yeah, you may look around and see a lot of people just totally ignoring God. They seem to be doing all right. On the way over here, Mary said a great analogy. It's like a Christmas tree. A Christmas tree, when you cut a Christmas tree and you put it in your house, it looks good for about a month. Right? It looks beautiful. But it's connected from the life source. And so eventually, decay will set in, rot will set in, the things of death set in. I would also say, you because you may push back and say, well, you know what, I know people that have lived really happily and at peace until they die. Well, that's, that's true too, right? But I would also push back and say, I can't imagine what it's like for those people to stand before Jesus and they hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. And I'm sure Jesus hears and we'll hear a lot of things like, but Jesus, I was at church most Sundays. I even helped out from time to time in, in children's ministry. And, and, and I even worked in the youth ministry and, and I helped with city serve. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And I'm sure there will be people that will say, but Jesus, I gave my money to charity. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. But Jesus I raised the family and I ran them to all their activities. I was faithful. We never missed a sporting event. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I, I, I never knew you. And I'm sure there are going to be people that say, but Jesus, like I was faithful at work and I climbed the corporate ladder and I, I was in charge of people. I had power and people obeyed my commands. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. And so... The result of being cut off from the source of life is you may exist for a time, but then death sets in. And so the question becomes, how do we cultivate intimacy with God? How do we do that? Um, first of all, and the reason why I spent the time the way I did as I shared the things I shared with you is, we need to hold the conviction that intimacy with God is essential for human flourishing. That is the first step. Because until we hold this conviction, we will not make time for it. We make time for what we value. Um, intimacy, cultivating intimacy with Jesus is not a problem of not having enough time. It's a problem of not having the right values. We don't value it, so we don't make time for it. And it can't just be a belief that we hold that intimacy with Jesus is important. It's got to be a conviction, a heartfelt, like, I need this. I've got to have it, right? Here's why. We tend to live by our convictions, not our beliefs. We tend to live by our convictions, not our beliefs. And so maybe the first step for you, and maybe you're here and you're being honest, like, I just don't have a desire to pursue intimacy with Jesus, right? Just be honest. Like, it's just not important to me. I just don't have a desire. It sounds like a duty, not a delight. I've been trying to explain why it's a delight. We're being invited into the ring of joy and glory and coordinated creativity. 
Here, well, maybe your first step is like, and I love what A.W. Tozer said in his book, The Pursuit of God. He says, Lord, I want to want thee. I want to want thee. And so what, what Tozer was saying is like, like, right now I really don't even want God. But he's acknowledging that, yes, that should be a desire of mine. It's not, God, can you give me that desire? Maybe that's the first thing you need to do this morning is admit you don't have a desire to chase hard after God. And ask him to fill you with that burning passion, a fire to know him and be known by him. Secondly, um, a lot of people, what they'll do um, is when they hear something like this, they do get convicted. And so what they decide to do is just like try really hard then. And so some of you feel guilty right now. You feel shameful, even though that's not the intent. And I would say that's from the, the enemy mainly. And so your natural reaction is, all right, I got to fix this. And so this week, every day this week, I'm going to spend two hours in prayer, right? Some of you are thinking that way. I guarantee you. You just feel horrible and you feel condemned and kick, just throw an uppercut to that kind of thinking because it's not from God. Here's what you need to do. Don't try harder. You need to train. You need to train. If you have not been praying at all, and you haven't prayed, or if you've never really started to pray, what if like you just spent five minutes three times this week talking to God? And why why not do that for like a month? That'd be a great start. And then after a month, maybe increase it to like ten minutes three times a week. I mean if you're going to say, like, I'm going to pray for two hours a day, every day this week, I'm going to fix this. It's like, a, you know, a very out of shape, overweight person saying, like, I got to get in the shape and I'm running a marathon tomorrow. <laughs> this is not going to work. Right? We must train and we increase things slightly as we develop, as God develops that muscle in us. Um, another thing is, too, when you hear a message like this, some of you are, are naturally thinking the example I just gave to you. That I have to have this quiet time with God where it's just, you know, him and I and it's focused. And yes, we do need to have those times because it helps us to be still and know that God is God. But God doesn't just want that. He wants your whole life to be a prayer. And to me, this is one of the secrets of the spiritual life that isn't meant to be a secret, but for some reason it is. Because I, don't, I know few Christians who live this way, where they do their day with God. And they're just constantly talking about what they're doing with the Lord. And whether that's going to work, whether that's running their kids to their activities, they're talking about to God. And they're being aware... Remember from our message on gratitude of the crowded, crowded kindness of God in everyday life. They have developed the habit of doing that. And so we need to develop that habit and so we train. So maybe you're, you got yard work to do today. It's supposed to be a nice day. Anybody have yard work here today? All right, you and me both. Um, so, what if today you just took 10 minutes of your yard work and you're just going to tune in and be aware of God's presence in your midst? C.S. Lewis says that God's walking incognito all, aware, all around us. 
What if you just 10 minutes and when your mind goes off to something else, you just gently direct it back to God's presence in your midst for 10 minutes. And guess what? What if uh, next time you do yard work, you increase that time and you keep increasing it until you just live like that. You just naturally live that way. It's just a habit of thought and mind that it's automatic. That's how you go about your day. Third thing that we can do to cultivate intimacy with Jesus is we need a training partner. This is critical, and this is why life groups are so important. Because in a life group, you can go, some of you meet this evening, and you could say and admit, I, I don't really have a desire to pursue after Jesus. Like, just say it. It's okay. We, we're, I mean, it's okay in the sense that we're going to love you, and the people in your life group aren't going to judge you. They're going to pray for you, and they're going to see how they can come alongside of you to help you uh, cultivate that desire. But then they can hold you accountable, right? And they can say, well, maybe you need to try this. And I just think many people haven't pushed past the duty of um, being with Jesus, and so they haven't broken into the delight of being with him. Push past the discomfort. It's not always going to be fun. And there's going to be times of dryness and, in your walk with Jesus. But we've got to keep leaning in until there is breakthrough. And a lot of people, I think, don't experience delight in the Christian life because they think that the only way to pray is like in isolation with the list of, you know, things to pray for, you know? When really we are just to be talking to Jesus as we go about our day. And maybe for you to have delight and intimacy with Jesus, you need to go hunting with Jesus. Or you need to go to the golf course with Jesus. Or you need to go four-wheeler riding with Jesus. Or you need, I mean, that's, that's the spiritual life. All right. Um, I will wrap up here. I was told, and I, shoot. I'm well, maybe I'm not so bad. I'm supposed to, I've heard it said as a pastor, I'm supposed to um, comfort the afflicted and afflict, and afflict the comforted. So hopefully both were accomplished today by God's spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you have invited us into the ring of glory, joy, intimacy, coordinated creativity, that you are a God that loves to love, that loves to bless, that loves to share. Ah, oh, so glad that you are the reality behind reality. It's amazing to think of uh, your personal life, uh, God, uh, before the creation of the world. Lord, I pray for those of us here today that just really don't have the desire to pursue you, that you might give us that desire. And Lord, for those of us that do, um, I pray that you would help us to train so that we become people who naturally, who automatically go throughout our day with you in a constant conversation and dialogue with you, just simply speaking about what we are doing together. Lord, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing of spiritual value 
and our life will be substandard and we will not flourish as you have designed us to. Lord, may this be a year for our people that they would flourish as the human beings made in your image that you created them to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.